the hundred it's 150 psalms um and many of them put to to music obviously they are musical and prayerful um and it's just it's a great hymnal it's something different than that but more worship oriented um so this is the 126 psalm you'll see that and i just have this little beginning part you can see this right yeah Okay, so I have this little beginning part. We together, it's best probably if you're on mute. So so you can hear yourself read it and you'll hear the rest of us. But sometimes the, so if you can remember to mute yourself and we all together read the bold. So hopefully you can see it. I took a quick photo of it. So it's, um, or scan. The 126th Psalm, um, the Psalms of Ascent, the people going to worship. Uh, they tend to be short psalms. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And then altogether we say, Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. And then together we say, may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. And then I have, um, there's the song there, I won't attempt to, but there's the stanzas, uh, optional stanzas, and I'll just read some of them. When the Lord restored our blessing, all delights were like a dream. In defeat, a shout of victory, and in the sand, a flowing stream. Mouths that once were parched with anguish, now with shouts of joy are filled. Laughter now displaces sadness for the goodness God has willed. Bring us back to former glory lost through years of exile's pain. Generations long forgotten seek God's favor to regain. Those who plant their seeds with grieving, wetting soil with falling tears, shall rejoice in time of harvest, reaping hope for all their years. I'll stop the share. And uh, just, just going to generally introduce today's uh, topic in the Lies That We Have Loved series. Everything works together for good, or you might know... I might share again because I'll put the scripture reading up, but uh, you might know the, the scripture verse from Romans 8. Um, everything works together for the good of those who love him. Uh, this should do it. You can see my screen in the scripture there, the Bible website. So I'm going to, I won't read the whole chapter this chapter is worth memorizing it's, it's pretty long it's 39 verses but as a young person i memorized most of this chapter particularly the last number of verses um and you know many people memorize romans chapter 8 verses 37 to 39 that's where the the chapter finds its pinnacle it's right at the end of the chapter and becomes kind of a benediction and a hymn um but in verse 28 is where we get this. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So that's where the concept of, you know, everything, 
everything happens for a reason kind of comes from, it's because it's moved into popular culture as well. Um, one of those misinterpreted Christian lines in scripture that gets misinterpreted in culture as well. So that people, you know, whether people are uh, speaking, they're distorted and cheapened concepts of things like karma or something, right? People say, oh, that's karma. Um, this kind of thing has, so that's from Buddhism. This kind of thing has moved from Christianity into mainstream. Like you'll hear people who have maybe little interest in Christian faith saying, well, everything happens for a reason. And it, and some of that is a distortion from uh, this verse and a distorted understanding. And like the Jeremiah 29 portion that we said, you know, sometimes some of us have used this improperly, uh, not intentionally. Um, this morning, hopefully we'll point towards what this might actually mean. And I'm just going to generally introduce it because Kim's going to take it on next week um, at the in-person service. So uh, as I said, this comes from Romans chapter eight. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful chapter. Much of Romans um, looking at the relationship between the law and between salvation in Christ. So we might think between achieving righteousness by behavior and acceptability and being declared righteous by God's grace. Different views of sanctification even in there. Um, and in these early days of the right of, you know, while writing the New Testament in these letters, this was uh, a matter of dispute. And much of Romans is written to, to clarify this. It's a theological book. It's not the easiest book, but it's filled with beautiful passages. And Romans 8 is about the peak of that for, for many people, myself included. Um, the chapter to briefly go through it. Uh, the chapter, as I said, is about law or Jesus, basically, about flesh or spirit. Um, at the beginning, you can see there's no condemnation for the law of the spirit. You can see how this is introduced, right? The law of the spirit for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So that's the topic of the, but there are subtopics. You get to one on prayer. Um, you, you also get like, well, before that, you get this verse 18. Look at these words here. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed in us or that will be revealed in us. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, imminently. Um, it does imminently in terms of ages, like everything changes with Jesus, but it doesn't mean like today's Tuesday and Wednesday, everything will be revealed. Um, it means that as we move from one kind of time to another. Uh, so the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will, will be revealed to us in this other time, in the fullness of time. What that implies, though, as you know, is there are sufferings in this present time. And if you take a verse like verse 28 to mean that, you know, all things will be good, basically, like an absence of suffering, or they'll just be small lessons, but everything eventually comes out okay for me, because I'm one of the ones who loves God. Uh, that's, uh, you've missed the rest of the chapter if, if you do that. Uh, the prayer section gets so far as to say, we don't even know what to pray. I don't even know what to pray. I mean, sometimes I just pray people's names. I pray about my own life, my own family, whatever. But I'm aware when I pray from this chapter and others, my own learning, that I'm entering an ongoing conversation. This chapter tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, is speaking on our behalf already, and is praying better than we pray. Um, 
And yet we're involved in that. We are taken up in that prayer and included in that prayer. We don't even know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Um, it also says the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. Um, so it, it casts the suffering of groups of people and of individuals as part of those groups in with some kind of suffering of creation itself. Creation itself is longing. Um, so that begins to, to set up how we take tw verse 28 when we get there. Um, and then at the end of that section, you have this concept of hoping. Uh, we hope, and it's hope because we don't see the outcome. And then the Spirit, verse 26, this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In other words, we will be weak. We will be unable to face all that this life brings. So we don't know how to pray, and the Spirit intercedes. And in our weakness, the Spirit also intercedes. We'll get back to verse 28 in a minute, but the end is verse 37 to 39. I'll read this section that I memorized, probably in another translation I memorized it. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when you read a crescendo verse like this, which is obviously in that list, trying to take all the things of creation and things, you know, one of these things in earth, things on earth and in heaven and below earth or whatever, like all things in all the cosmos ever, uh, good things, bad things, powers, principalities, right? This type, height, depth. So height and depth, there's some spiritual kind of connotation in that, right? Like great things and terrible things, height and depth. Nothing in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. That relates back to the promise that everything works for good, that we will not be separated. Um, so that's kind of an outline of the chapter. And then I wanted to introduce to you, many would know this, and um, we're not alone in looking at these lies that we have loved series. Some of you have heard of Kate Bowler. Um, she's at Duke Divinity School, and uh, I've spoken with her actually a couple of times and with the number of people who work with her. I hear fantastic things. I like uh, almost everything that she writes. She's a great writer. Um, and she did her PhD dissertation on um, prosperity gospel. She actually grew up in Canada and in the prairies, Manitoba, and wound up teaching at Duke Divinity School and has written in the New York Times and other places, particularly about her own uh, terminal cancer in light of her research on the prosperity gospel that she researched for years. Um, and then after that, during that, after that was diagnosed with cancer uh, at the time that she was a young mom. Um, she's lived a number of years since, but she still has this diagnosis. Um, and she, she it's not her most recent book, but uh, she wrote a book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. And I'll read to you a little bit. This is from the introduction, kind of lays things out, but shows how she got to where she is. So she's talking about how she, in her research of the prosperity gospel, these kinds of verses that, you know, everything works for the good of those who love him were in her mind uh, misinterpreted or she actually didn't make a judgment call on it. She just said how they were interpreted. 
she, it was, you know, good PhD work. So she didn't say this is bad. She simply said, this is what they're teaching. Um, but then she has her own encounter. She doesn't believe the prosperity gospel, but well, she kind of does listen to what she says. She said, I'd love to report that what I found in the prosperity gospel was something so foreign and terrible to me that I was warned away. But what I discovered was both familiar and painfully sweet. The promise that I could curate my life, minimize my losses and stand on my successes. And no matter how many times I rolled my eyes at the creed's courageous certainties, the creed of prosperity gospel, I crave them just the same. I had my own prosperity gospel. A flowering weed grows in with all the rest. Married in my 20s, a baby in my 30s. I want a job at my alma mater straight out of graduate school. I felt breathless with possibilities. Actually, it's getting harder to remember what it felt like because now she's facing this cancer. But I don't think it was anything as simple as pride. It was certainty, plain and simple that God had a worthy plan for my life in which every setback would also be a step forward. I wanted God to make me good and make me faithful with just a few shining accolades along the way. Anything would do if hardships were only detours on my long life's journey. I believed God would make a way. And then she has a separated sentence here. I don't believe that anymore. So she... Christian and she, but she basically takes the rest of this little book to unpack some of the things that she experienced. I also recommend, um, I might be able to find it on the, uh, uh, maybe not. If I change it, can you see that now? An article? Okay, so this is an article from 2018. Um, so you can Google it, or maybe we can send you what to say when you meet the angel of death at a party. This is one of the articles that got her um, quite recognized in, in the world of opinion and writing. And um, so she's at, she's at a gathering at, at, a, at a party around the same time that she's dealing with her cancer treatment. And she basically goes through what people say to her. Um, and she's, she's humorous, but a little bit scathing. In, in this uh, article, and it's worth reading the article, and it's worth reading some of the many comments that come after that. So I'll stop sharing and just give a couple of points, and then we'll uh, end with the Lord's Prayer in a few minutes of discussion. So two things I have to say um, that they're big picture things, as I said, and Kim will take us through the rest of it next Sunday. Um, but one of the things that's come up in the other two uh, lies that we have loved addresses. <laughs> it comes up again here that our view of faith and blessing is far too individualistic and we have become constrained by it. We don't know how to love the world as well. Uh, things like today, uh, I'm going down to this pride parade. And when I, you know, my growing up, uh, the churches I was part of, that would have been considered, you know, pretty bad. Um, I think part of that is we don't we have failed in, in a little bit of what it means to love the world. Um, and we've cast ourselves as the ones who have the knowledge and information and our faith becomes really individualized and we take our judgments and place them upon other people. So in terms of how we see things that, so for a verse, like, you know, everything works together for the good of those who love him. We basically go, well, I'm one of the ones who love him. <laughs> see what I mean? 
And right away, the verse becomes, we, we cast kind of cast out everybody else. That's not what this chapter clearly is doing, even though it is, it is opening a path to say that those of us who know Jesus Christ, you know, see something, right? But that seeing of a thing is all, it's never just for ourselves. It's always for everyone, for the whole world. Our faith matters in positive ways for other people. So it's ways that we kind of judge one another in the world, but way too individualistic in terms of how we analyze our own lives, our own blessing. And this becomes a prison because as a, as a pastor, one of the things I've seen is that one of the things that hurts us most is the expectation that our life, our life should be relatively free of suffering. And that when suffering comes, we don't know what to do. Or even worse, when suffering comes, we think of it as kind of apart from God somehow, that either, you know, whatever it is. And of course, we sin and there can be, we can get all kinds of trouble because of terrible things we do and bad decisions we make, of course. But scripture is clear that not all suffering comes because of that. And so we, we kind of, or we think, you know, what I'm supposed to do in life is discover God's will for my life, right? Rather than discovering God's will for the whole of the world. I don't mean judging other people. What I mean is how am I part of something bigger? Um, or concepts like personal salvation. I believe in personal salvation, but salvation is never only personal. Uh, you have to think of the bigger thing first. So you get what does it mean that God works things together for good? And you get to the end of that chapter with um, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. We get to, again, that question is not, you know, how do I apply this to my life? It's not the first question. The first question is, what does this say about God? And if you read Romans 8, it says some beautiful, wonderful, strong, fantastic things about God. And so all that is it, too individualistic, and we need to be freed from that. Um, the, the bigger problem is not suffering. The bigger problem is meaninglessness. And because we want to close that circle quickly, we say things like, well, this is happening for a reason. Or you'll read in that article in the New York Times some of the things people told Kate Bowler. Um, they even told her husband, you know, that well, she was anticipating that they might say to her husband, if she dies, you know, God has another angel now, something like, you know, that, and wasn't she wonderful? And, um, and so we, we think of things so individualistically. And yet, if, if we're freed from that, we can still see God's blessing in our life, but it's always connected to others. So that's one thing. Um, the second thing is just letting go of those poor readings. Um, and all I have here as we kind of close is it's just prayerful. It's as we move and grow in our lives and we see things differently at different, you know, when we're a different age, many of us tended to be more certain when we were younger. Some people never let go of that certainty. It's like they get stuck. Um, and I know people and I love people who I honestly think believe in exactly the same way as they believed 30, 40 years ago. And um, maybe maybe they see that. I mean, they tend to be good people, but I think sometimes they see it as a point of pride. And I think sometimes, and some of them I know well enough that I can say this to them. I say, you just keep going to the places where they tell you exactly the things that you already believe. Um to me, this is a failure to seek. And I'm not saying they're not seeking God. I want to be careful with that. But it is a failure of listening. Um, 
So that's the last point I have is, Lord God, what does it mean that all things work together for good? And then these words, for those who love you. I love you, Lord. But if my faith is not a blessing for all, then I don't feel it's a blessing for me. So teach me. Let me be open to being corrected. Lord Jesus, thank you that there are no God-forsaken places because you have been to the depths. And guide us, we pray. Let's pray and you can stay muted again or unmute or whatever the Lord's Prayer I will do with uh, trespasses. Uh, that's always the question, debts or trespasses. So, um, and I'll just lead us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.